Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the fields, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, once again. Well, my name is Connor Mooney. I uh, appreciate the timeliness of you, Lord, doing this Roots campaign announcement, and of you, servant and elder Ibrahim, because uh, I am standing here today, I believe, because you all have been faithful. He's been faithful first, and then you've responded. So what a neat transition, I pray. And if I stink up here, as people tell me, the Lord's still at work, and we had amazing songs, and we went through confessions, and I'll just keep working hard for you all, as I do, you know, still in my first year here as Director of Children and Family Ministries, but I have some experience and one of those that I like to brag about, and I'm, I'm very humble, but I, I do want to brag to you about experience I had reading to you, and sorry, to some of you, just a few of you, and then a crowd of about, I guess, like 2,500, this text. So Davidson College is a small school, but they do a graduation that they really blow up large, and they put us all in their arena, which is only 6,500. Um, but we do make it to big-time tournament games. Um, and we, they had people stand up there. Don't worry, I was not the valedictorian, but I was a president of an organization. They said, Connor, will you read for us scripture? Now, you should know that I became a Christian in college, and I was on fire for God. I said, absolutely. They said, please don't yell at me. I'm the president. And I said, okay, I'm sorry. Um, I will be privileged to read to you, president and chaplain, something from God's word. And so I spent a good amount of time in my prayer closet and said, Lord, what do I read that will impact folks for the gospel? And he said to me, read the best sermon that has ever been presented. I said, really? Oh, Matthew 5 through 7? He said, yes. Because I tell you today, that I am privileged to deliver to you, or almost like re-deliver, rehash to you, as my friend and colleague up north in Cornelius puts it, the sermon of all sermons. Don't worry. Again, I'm not referring to my own eloquence or content or even my own size of faith in God, but instead referring to one who has perfected 
the art of preaching and teaching and convicting souls. Amen? And I got to stand up on this stage and read to you, as in people who are out there, and felt like a million bucks, words of life, and read to them the truth about Jesus Christ. Now, did anyone uh, come to the Lord that day or he came to them? I'm not sure, but I felt great because this word is so amazing and every time I preach on it or teach on it or read it to the point where I'm going to read it again today, it's that good. I hope you're inspired just like I am. So here it is. I wish if I had enough time, that I could read all three chapters, but I'm just going to read to you what Ibrahim read to you again and ask that you would let it simmer and marinate in your heart and mind and soul like it has for me these last few weeks. Will you do that with me? Jesus says to his followers, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It's not life more than food, and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They are outside, so they literally looked. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your, my heavenly Father, feeds them, he says. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing. Consider the lilies of the field, right there, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon, a king from back in the day of Israel, in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes, clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, or as one tra translation says, hell, Will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Therefore, I say it again, do not be anxious. Saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, he commands. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of our Lord Jesus Christ, who just a week ago, as we celebrated, they're kind of off, children were asking me, Pastor Connor, Director Connor, was it really April 5th that he rose from the dead? Great question. We really don't know, but we celebrate it. Why? Because we need to be reminded. Why? Because somewhat, kind of like you children, even your parents and me, adults, forget. And so we need a date around the first of Sunday of April. That's kind of true, actually. Right around there, we celebrate the resurrected Lord. Amen? And as some of you know, and only about three of you are like, yes, I do come from an Anglican tradition where we actually celebrate the 40 days of Easter. I know, call it crazy, but guess what? Kids didn't really know this. We think that he stayed alive after raising himself from the dead, he's God, for 40 days. Why? The children asked. My humble answer, because they needed to be reminded even a few weeks ago of what Jesus was saying to them, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. So a few centuries later, we need to be reminded. 
So let me remind you what Jesus speaks into our life, the good news here in this Easter season, of what we are called to do and be and have faith in as Christians. In this passage, Jesus speaks to three concerns of the human being then and the human being now. Things have not changed. Ready? Eating, drinking, and wearing. Still applicable. Today, we are going to learn from the Lord, I pray in his word, how it is that even the most basic of needs have been met in him. That they have been, they are, and they will be met in him. And not just in the physical realm. No, but actually much more so, I believe Jesus is talking about in the spiritual realm. We as beings created in his image are made to eat, drink, and put on, I think, God as our very substance. And as a result, we will see truly why there is no need to worry, be anxious about our asp any aspects, those things that, yes, do bring about worry in our lives. So here we go. I'm claiming boldly, and I'm using Jesus' words, don't worry. And I hope you guys see the title of the sermon, uh, maybe pre-Christ, and then I admit it, even in Christ, I listened to Bob Marley, and um, amazing singer, not really sure, I haven't done enough study on his religion, but he sings a good song or two or three, and one of his songs is called Three Birds. And I, yes, in my freshman dorm room, worrying about Davidson, professors killing me in grades, I would not worry about a thing, because every little thing is going to be all right. Like, please, Bob, tell me it's true, because I'm worrying right now that I will not pass Davidson. But I made it through. And so don't worry about a thing, people. Here is what Jesus has to tell you. Ready? Well, the first is eat. And as some of you may know, I grew up in a home where food was always prepared. Not heated up or mixed in three easy steps. No, my mother is a true Carolina girl. And so each night, from my vaguest memory of around four or five to the other day returning home on a Friday night, I have watched my mom prepare us food. Now, to be fair, my father took part in this, this daily preparation, but not in the kitchen itself. See, he left the scrambled eggs on a little too long the morning that he volunteered to make us breakfast, but what is he good at? He is the master table setter. And so he would go out in the dining room, it's all set, Danielle, and then here is what would happen. Meanwhile, the process of preparing a meal, at least from my perspective watching my mother and preparing this sermon, it's fascinating at the core. Amen? It's, you see, when my mother would start her ritual, it involved several steps, taking out the necessary ingredients and the proper equipment, and then the move-by-move -move coordination of pouring here, measuring there, heating and blending and sorting, and then presenting. Something I learned early on, as well, is that there is not just a science of preparing a homemade meal, but an art as well. My mother, as I observed in my detail-oriented nature, would make sure that the chicken pot pie, my favorite, really favorite, I do like shepherd's pie too, but chicken pot pie, I realize, is really my favorite, so that's why it made it in, would be on one area of the plate, artists, like, well done, she would literally, and then the pe green peas in another, and then the, finally the applesauce in the third, creating a three-piece pie shape that would nicely decorate the table as my father would bring it over, pray over it, and then we'd indulge. Food, people, is our 
livelihood. And we smell it, we taste it, we desire it all the time, probably now. Take, for example, the list of rec restaurants that we regularly put on our want column on the fridge, I don't know, somewhere. Or the photo blog of food on the plate in front of us, or Instagramming, right, youth, before we eat it, devour it. Or the colleague, I love my colleagues, but who brings in the fried fish or chicken and all of a sudden it's fumigating the office and everyone's gotta go across the street then and get that fried chicken or fish. You must get it, it has to be yours. Your appetite is up and your sense is heightened. Good, because let me explain how this relates to the work that Jesus is describing God doing in each of our lives when it comes to eating. First, Jesus in Matthew 6.25, alludes to life being more important than food. <sighs> Take it from me, that's a hard mouthful to swallow. We are so ingrained as humans from the onset to prioritize eating in our day-to-day -day routines. We wake up, eat. We work or play for several hours, eat. We wait until the sun goes down, sometimes watch it go down because it's time for food and dinner. Our lives are consumed by eating. And so surely Jesus, you know that life in our world is about eating and food in many, many ways. I'm hurt. Well, that's where our Savior is truly who he is. For he does know, fully human, fully God, that our world circumvents such actions. He ate, and yet he ch is challenging these followers. Some, not all, some who have become his disciples, sold out for him and what he was preaching and teaching, to see what he is teaching about to be even more crucial, and I would say more appetizing than food itself. The main entree, the special of the night, no wait, year, no wait, decade, no wait, century, the kingdom of God. For it is what Jesus sets up in his sermon to be the main idea, the greatest piece of meat, even money, cannot buy. Jesus takes several angles on explaining what exactly the kingdom is for it, meaning the kingdom of God. It's not a concept that, that was that well known in the here and now for Jews and Gentiles alike. Let me explain. See, we know that John the Baptist earlier in the Gospel of Matthew refers to it. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Before then, hundreds of years before, we know that God's people, the Israelites, were very motivated by kingdoms and kingships. For them, the existence of a king was vital. They were wandering from desert to desert, isolation to isolation, in search of the promised land. And in that searching, they sought out a king, a leader on earth to provide them what God seemed to be lacking in his leadership. And so maybe you know the story of Samuel being set aside by God to choose a king for his people. And yet, such a model was not the ideal for God's ultimate plan, was it? For no human king would be able to rule and lead as well as God could and would with a vision and, more so, an authority that's needed. Here's what 1 Samuel 8 says. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you, Samuel. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. 
Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Is that an allusion to Jesus Christ? Yes, because he came as the king of kings. So they're like, what is he talking about? Samuel says that because he just repeats it. And they're like, whoa. Okay, well, for now, give us a king. Okay. So we know from the Old Testament story, then bleeding into the new, one that God's people would have been restless without a king. They have sought after a plan that they thought would be best for them, even when the counsel given to them is otherwise from his prophet, Samuel included. See, they thought they had to work for it, right? Like they said, hey, look, hey, Samuel, do all the work, kind of muster up the courage in some people, maybe you're it, I don't know, to give us a king so that we can be led and we can get out of here. Because you'll see, as I tell you later, the place was miserable, dry, hot, no food, clothing. They didn't want to wear clothing, but it was inappropriate. It was a terrible place, right? So please, God, desperate. It's fair to say the Israelites were hungry for God to do something in their lives to bring an end to the suffering and longing that they've had for his leadership. And so in walks Jesus. God's only son, who is teaching early on in his ministry, I quote, this is Jesus, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Matthew 4, 17. Whoa! Now a leader has been given, and Jesus is stating clearly, really commanding, that such a leader is near to them. Very near, so near that they must taste of him and see that he is the real nourishment that God's people have been seeking. Thus, why today do we partake of communion, of the elements every Sunday here at Christ Central? Well, yes, it's because we see how even God's people, after Jesus' death and resurrection, still didn't fully trust that he is, was, always will be the king, and in my life and in your life and our lives, he is the king, so we do it as a reminder. Just like we celebrated Easter, we're reminded every Sunday because we forget that quickly who Jesus is. And when we're hungry going to the communion table, that's even better, I think. Because we realize, as much as I'm going to eat this little piece of bread or get a great meal afterwards, the real substance in my life, it's Jesus. So I call communion, I think this is appropriate, a repeating coronation, meaning he is claimed king once again this morning. The second topic then that Jesus commands these followers and some disciples to not be worried about, right, or anxious, drink. Not only does Jesus address in his sermon the need to be fed, but what he speaks, which he does speak to when he shares how even the birds of the air are fed by the heavenly father. With food comes then the need for drink. And Jesus acknowledges this need as well. See, thirst, parchment, dryness are themes that the Israelites can very much relate to in their days of wandering. In the desert, as you can imagine, maybe have experienced, and I alluded to, it's dry. No, I've been praying through this. I don't think it was dry. I think it was desolate. I think it was barren. I think it was dry, rotted. Again, I look back to my childhood, and my mother has always been I think just by nature, by God's design, an accomplished gardener. 
So from an early age, not only did I sit on the stool and observe my mother's cooking in the kitchen, likewise, I observed her gardening. Whether it was the wooden-built gardens that my father constructed in Connecticut, where I grew up, or the plastic-covered greenhouse housing rows upon rows of growing plants here in North Carolina, I have seen my share of plants and of watering. See, a gardener has two major responsibilities. Most, a lot, some, of you, some of you know this in their work of tending to plants. First, it's making sure that proper nutrients are provided for a seed to begin to grow, right? Yes, plant food, so to speak. And then the other is to make sure that the proper amount of watering takes place in the entire life of the plant. See, there's not a time in their lives, as in the plants, that a plant can go without watering. From day one to the day it dies, a plant survives and really thrives on water. And in my days of observing my mother and her gardening methods, I would marvel at the way that she would know who needed how much water that morning and when. I was kind of almost like, Mom, it, ah, you're so talented. Gosh, how, am I ever going to get those green thumbs? Nope, not really, maybe one and a half. And so I speak of these plants, yes, like they were her children and my siblings. Say so they kind of were pets, because yes, my mom truly treated them like a mother goose tends to her young. She fed them and watered them just the amount they needed. And as a result, a tremendous garden. You can go see up in Advance, North Carolina, even now, especially now. So it sounds mystical and marvelous, I know, but I will tell you that after a summer or two in North Carolina, of disappointment as well. See, as much as my mother and then my father and I would help, go out there and help her to water, there would be those scorchers, right? We're about to see them, y'all, where the Carolina sun would beat down on us, including our plants, and dry them out in a matter of hours. I remember some summer nights at dusk going over to the greenhouse and observing with shock the sight. A row of sun-scorched plants that my mother would have to regrettably throw to the compost heap and start over. My mother's fault, you ask? Of course not. I say it's mother nature against human taking the win once again. And so, how does this relate? The Israelites experienced heartache after heartache of dry times in their walks with God, I say. Literally at times, walking from Egypt to Israel, they were just no water to be seen, no oasis, without the fondest idea of when they would arrive at this promised land that God had told them about, and yes, he promised. For the appropriate imagery, we can simply turn to King David's Psalms, noting the condition not only of the land, but also of his own soul. In Psalm 63, ready? You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, what a great psalmist or poet David was. He was talking about his body. Literally, his skin was cracking. And he's talking about his soul. He was thirsty. Oh, God, I can't do this. You've called me to be king. Call on someone else. I am thirsty and I am fed up. David is not just speaking figuratively. For we know this prayer took place in the desert of Judah. It's dry there, in case you haven't been. As Israel's king, David speaks for his people well of how they all felt in this land. No man's land. 
wandering, uh, wondering where their faithful God was when dying some of them of thirst and seeing only more desert when they looked up and sun, hoping to see a sign, any sign of God coming to the rescue. Let me ask you, can you picture this? Can you picture the worry or the anxiety of being an Israelite at that time? Like, can you? Like, um, hey, I, you know what? It's been great, you all. I'll probably die tonight. You know, I'm, it's just, hey, please take care of my son or daughter. Please take care of my spouse. Please take care of my grandmother. I can't do it anymore. I'm Just the worry alone is killing me. Can you picture it? And can you picture then why Jesus is speaking so applicably to people that had ancestors that died on the course to this promised land, right? Well, Jesus is bold, and he speaks to God's people with an assertive tone, I think, noting well that, yes, even though you've been thirsty for all of those years, he says to them, no more shall you go thirsty. What shall we drink is answered by him, for guess what? Their spring of overflowing water has arrived. Jesus has broken down dams. He has freed up rivers of living water where they flow all the days of our lives. No, our eternal lives. He's the king of heaven. See, people of God, Jesus truly tells us not to worry even when we thirst. For he has come to bring us refreshment every day, every hour, every time. We are parched. Even now, I'm feeling it. Christ is saying here that we will no longer have to experience a day of desperation, desolation, looking around and saying, where is God? Or what is there to drink? And it's not only fitting but prophetic that Jesus' first miracle at the wedding of Cana involved drink. Now, the wedding attendants were thirsty, and Jesus knew that, and he turned water into Wine, good, no, I believe it was great tasting wine in order to reveal to his people, I have come to be for you the drink that you've been searching for and have not yet found. In some ways, too, I'm, not, I'm sure someone's written about this smarter than me, but Jesus is our oasis in a dry, dry land called earth. So again, in a few minutes, we not only take the bread and nourish ourselves spiritually with him, our daily bread, but we also take the cup, the blood of the new covenant shed for us so that we will never go thirsty again. Never a time when we look up feeling dry, feeling anxious, feeling used up, feeling dried up, not having the Savior right by our side. People, he is always present and available to eat and to drink for our souls to be replenished, filled, and truly even then overflowing. Isn't that great imagery? Lastly then, wear, clothing. Jesus comes to his people not only addressing their concern for food, for drink, but also for clothing. And he addresses it in the following fashion. This is the NIV. Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Surely... I'm saying this, if the wildflowers in some random field, in some random land, are not to worry about their growth and protection and shade and watering, then yes, you, children of God, should know that as, as you know that he knows every hair on your head, that you will be cared for and, yes, well clothed. 
I've shared about my mother and her influence in my life. So now, to my acclaimed father. Peter is a man of many talents and many interests. Take, for example, his hobby, I don't get it, that's okay, of attending auctions. <laughs> Paying to go to auctions and not buying anything, but he'll go to these auctions in rural North Carolina. Please, you guys know what I'm talking about if you grew up in North Carolina, Georgia, South Carolina. Yeah, they love to sell old, rusty equipment. Okay, so I, I, he would look at this knick-knack. Whoa, look at that gadget. Ooh, look at that piece of old machinery I'll never use. Okay, Dad, can we go home? I'm thirsty. Um, so instead, I'll talk about what I'm most intrigued about, and that's my father's, in, father's interest in carpentry and renovation. Now, he, to this day, literally right now, He's adding on, at 70 years old, another wing to our farmhouse, 1902 farmhouse, and this time a sunroom, not making this up, for the plants to have the morning sun and for my parents to have their morning coffee and scones. How nice does that sound? You guys can visit anytime, because he'll be done like tomorrow. You know what is fascinating about my dad? Not once would I hear or see in him worry fretting, anxiety as taking on from what seems to be from the outside in to be a daunting task. Building an entirely new room by himself onto an already old house. Tearing down the old room and putting up a new one that would look natural against this one-story farmhouse, taking on every aspect of the job from demolition, concrete spreading, measurements, framing, drywall, touching up with paint and caulk, tying a bow on it. Amazing work. And each time I would witness my dad and his carpenter's hands, I too, again, for the umpteenth time, am reminded of this passage in Matthew's Gospel. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. Our Father in heaven commands through his Son, who came to this earth for that very reason, to allow us to rest in him and his saving work, not our own. For me, it's personal, for I know that I, too, have been given skills, experiences, relationships, speaking engagements in front of people at Davidson College, and most of all, faith given to me, not earned, not built with a wooden nails, given to me. Priceless. Faith in God through his son, Jesus Christ. And so it's only apt for all of us to ask, well, Connor, why do you worry like you frequently do? For I do know that my Father has given me every reason to rest, relax, and rely on him. He has made all things possible, even the impossible he made possible. Even, Paul says, the inadequate he made adequate. But I'm telling you right now, I worry. I, I personally worry a good amount. And I'm going to read from you this, you know, praise God for modern age. Usually I'd have like a, an easel with like a laundry list or like, you know, a flip pad. Well, now thanks to Google Drive, I have my worry list updated and on my device. Thank you, church. Um, and so I'm going to read to you a sampling of my worries, OK? Finances, house buying, a future family, Lord willing, reputation. How nice am I or not nice that one time? My looks, my health, my relationships. Am I a good witness, Lord? My job, am I doing a good job? My making it worth it for this Roots campaign. Do I take enough time off, or, or am I taking too much off this past week? Salvation for my loved ones, my wife, my pet, which, yes, I worry about. I always think I leave the front door open, and he's gone. It's true. It's really true. 
okay, do I get too much rest, Lord, or not enough? Did I say the wrong thing? Do I really look good in green or yellow, or is that just the fact I'm Irish and I'm just kind of prone to wear it? Do I exercise enough? What about this week? Did I read enough of your word, God? Did I write because I was frustrated and I need to put those thoughts on paper and not say them out loud? Am I kind of known on social media? Because I have a Facebook page, but I have like 10 people following me. I, I don't know if people know me. Should I get another upgrade when the 7++ plus 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 comes out? Uh, do I, did I pay my bills on time? Did I mow? Did I eat? Did I drink? How's my wardrobe? I worry about these things all the time. And so maybe I'm not alone here today. Maybe you're like me, that when you get up, you don't necessarily ask and say, what a great day. This is a great day the Lord has made. Instead, a lot of times say, okay, what is there to worry about today? And then when I'm hitting the pillow hard at night, did I try to address all of them? I have found an interesting inverse relationship. Kids, youth, that means like when one goes up, the other goes down. So this is how an inverse relationship works. See, Davidson, I, I did pass math. Okay, that's an inverse relationship, right? Well, I'm convinced that I've found an interesting inverse relationship going on in my thought life when it comes to worry or anxiety. There are really two columns that I boldly say that we believers, people trusting in God, have on a daily basis. You could create your own Google Doc or spreadsheet. The first, worries. The second, I call works of his hands, meaning the praises, the thank yous, the answered prayers, the testimonies, the excitements, the joys in life that are his given to me. The relationship is inverse, I've noticed. Meaning the more I think and pray and list out my worries, the less I notice there is to praise about him and thank him. That's messed up. Is what I've, that's my conclusion after calculus two. That's wrong. That should not be how it is, as in the relationship makes sense, but it's wrong that my worries list or column is so gigantic, and my puny little, thank you, God, you're so good to me, it's like, oh, it's like not even bullet-pointed because there aren't enough bullets. It's wimpy. It's pathetic, and that's not the life that he has intended for me and intended for you because he beckons us to sit, to sit with his followers and hear his words on that mount, calling us not to be anxious and calling us to trust him and calling us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, like all the time seeking his face, like all the time seeking righteousness. Do you realize that Matthew 5 through 7 is actually just a list of things of how to be holy, how to be righteous. Don't murder. Okay, thanks. Jesus, thanks for the soft, easy one. Okay, but then also O's. They say, yes, be yes. Also, love your neighbor, but also more so love your enemies. What? No, I don't do that. Nope, that's hard. That's dangerous. No, Jesus says, do it, because I'm calling you to a life of righteousness. In fact, I've given it to you, and now you're asked to do these things. So then it comes to Matthew 6. And by the way, do not worry. Don't. I've got you. I've got this. Instead, the end of chapter, uh, verses 33 and 34, seek me first and my righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Isn't that good news today? Did the good news come out today that he has given us hope, a righteousness, a desire? It's all from him to know him, to seek him first, and then add unto us all of the 
things that we don't even know we need, he'll give us, okay? One of the fascinating things as I conclude, and I'm gonna play a song, I know it's kind of weird, but you'll, it, it'll speak to you, Lord willing. Um, hey, remember, he mentioned three things that for people back in like BC, or at least 0, 10, 20, 30 AD, they could get, like they're like, okay, I need to eat today, okay. I really need a drink today to, you know, wash it down, okay. I need to wear the, whatever they wore back then, uh, loins and, and robes, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't Googled that, okay. So, call me crazy, but you all worry about those three same things, right? Hey, it's been a hot day, where's my Gatorade? Hey, I am so hungry right now, I've been sitting here for hours, what are we doing for lunch? Hey, um, I need to visit the mall. It's been kind of rough, I'm transitioning to my spring clothing. I mean, it's a worry, it's, it's worry, you know what worry is? It's consumable, like worry, anxiety, it just kind of takes up you. That's what, thanks to my colleague Paul, who's not here today, he was like, you know what, Connor in the Greek, and he's so smart, I'm like, oh, he would pull the Greek reference. Um, worry is actually like a physical, tangible wrapping around. Like it does this. Sounds weird, but worry actually like gets you. Anxiety actually kind of grabs you and holds on to you. So my prayer for you all today and for me is that you would ask him and allow him to let it go. And so there's a song I asked Jason to play that talks about that. I thought about singing, but I'm so dry mouthed and whatever that I'm not going to sing it, but I'll sing the first few lyrics and I just want you all just, again, to let it digest in your soul what God has called us to. A famous band back in the 90s, I'm getting old kids, youth, please tell me who's famous now, Lecrae. Lecrae is famous now, I pray to God for that concert. But there's a band called Jars of Clay, or Jars of Clay. Okay, you heard of them? I don't, Brandon, okay. There is a river, he says, you're too young. There is a river that washes you clean. There is a tree that marks the places you've been. Blood that was spilled, although not your own, for all of your tears. Then he says a little bit later on, give it up. Let it go. These are the things you were never meant to shoulder. God, we thank you that you are a river that flows in our lives today. You also are our daily bread. And you also, as I say and call it, you're our satin robe. You have robed us because you have been enthroned on high. Lord, please show us what it means to trust you, to let go, and to cling to the Savior today. Every day of our lives, we ask this for you. Not because we've done anything or we are the kings of our own kingdoms. No, God. But because you are king with the proper authority to lead us well this day. In Christ's name, the king, I do pray. Amen.